This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today's show is being taped, so we are not taking calls. Um, Hopefully, this uh, show is being broadcast while I am away at spring training with the New York Yankees. And uh, we wanted to get some fresh shows uh, in the can so you guys would get really good information and fresh information. My guest today is going to be Attorney Joseph Curran. Attorney Curran is a specialized a specialist in immigration law. And there's a lot going on. We really want to know how immigration law is going to affect your health care. We have so many physicians who come into this country because we need them to provide health care. So what are the changes in regulations? How difficult is it? to become a physician and to come into the country to help us because we have such a shortage of physicians and have had it. There's a whole history behind this. So attorney Curran is going to bring us up to speed on this. Some of the things that have been in the news lately, I always like to touch a little bit on technology, Um, cell phone radiation, not hazardous to your health. Scientists say, I, I guess I have to agree with it because there've been so many studies looking at, brain tumor, epilepsy, headaches, anything in relation to the use of a cell phone. But nevertheless, if you don't have to hold the phone up to your ear, you shouldn't. There are so many good devices now that work via Bluetooth or plug-in. And in some cases, it becomes more clear and much more convenient than holding the phone to your ear. So, With the newest study looking at mobile phones and the possibility of some toxic effect saying, no, it doesn't, I would still recommend that people diminish the amount of time they spend on a phone being held to their ear. One of the things that's come up has been Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan have all created their own healthcare venture. Well, that sure tells us something. And that is that healthcare is a big driver of the success of businesses in the United States today. I mean, that's absolutely the case. So these big companies are going to go out and get into the healthcare business, so to speak. This is not something new. Uh, big companies like uh, General Dynamics here uh, and Electric Boat have done this for years. Uh, I think they are fully insured now, but they used to self-insure and hire companies to administer, meaning provide the physicians, provide discounts, and provide counseling for their employees. And in doing so, they create their own network and diminish their costs. Basically, what these companies are doing is cutting the middleman out. They're cutting the insurance company out of the equation and hopefully saving a lot of money. The other thing they're doing, and if if they should be doing, 
is promoting better health environments. So making sure people have enough time to exercise, making sure that they get to visit. So instead of trying to do this big national rollout that becomes cumbersome, they're doing it specifically for their companies. And in the end, I can guarantee you there's going to be benefit to doing that. So it's going to be an interesting experiment to watch uh, and to see how these companies, with all their mega power and mega bucks, pull this off. And it may be a model for other companies in the future where not only do the companies benefit, but their employees certainly benefit. Uh, those are companies, from what I know about them, have very content employees. Breast cancer treatments can raise the risk of heart disease. Not surprising. Uh, you know, when we treat cancer, we treat it with poison. And those poisons have side effects. But it's been the best way for us to treat and increase someone's longevity. Every treatment has a benefit and a risk. In the case here of treating breast cancer, it has clearly had a benefit, these aggressive treatments. So the question becomes, how do we deal with the heart disease that comes on later in life? And it's like treating heart disease in every other situation. What we're doing is promoting better health, getting women as they get older and they've been treated for breast cancer uh, to continue exercise, continue diet, continue the positive effects they've had on their life overall to avoid more heart disease. A recent article I published in the Norwich Bulletin talked about multiple sclerosis and chronic neurologic diseases and the use of exercise and fitness. We've talked about it on this show before, Parkinson's disease uh, and other illnesses, chronic neurologic illnesses that benefit from regular physical activity. Well, multiple sclerosis is one of them. So I had a chance to chat with my colleague, Dr. Vern Williams, earlier in the month of January, earlier this year when I was in California for the National Football League Players Association meeting. And it was great to chat with him. He is the medical director at the Curl and Job Center in California. So we're going to take a short break now. Then we're going to be back with that interview uh, talking with Dr. Vern Williams. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today I'm with Dr. Vernon Williams. We're in Los Angeles uh, here for the National Football League Players Association Collegiate Bowl. Dr. Williams is the Director of Sports Neurology at the Curl and Job Center uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, Vern, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tony. It's always great to be here. I wanted to chat with you a little bit about something that's a little bit different uh, in terms of athletics and sports. A lot of the things we deal with, the patients we deal with, have chronic neurologic conditions. Have you found that there's been kind of a shift in terms of people who we didn't expect to ever be active and athletic with these conditions now becoming more athletic? No, no question. No, no question about it. it. It seems like the more we look at this, uh, the more it's reinforced that the brain really loves activity. It loves exercise. And so 
we've kind of transitioned from focusing on exercise during youth and um, adolescence and early adulthood and, and general health to focusing on exercise in individuals even who have chronic neurologic illnesses. So um, I've found that even my day-to-day activities, when I interview patients taking a history, uh, I talk about all the typical things, what their symptoms are like, so on and so forth, but I always take time to talk about what their exercise is, what their exercise of choice is, what they're doing, and it really provides an opportunity to to discuss the benefits of exercise, even in people who have uh, chronic neurologic conditions. You know, a lot of people think in sports neurology, all we do is concussion, right? I mean, and, right. and certainly that's gotten the highlight of it. But um, specifically, people with multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's something that certainly when I was training, and I know I'm older than you are, right away when you heard the wor- you hear the words multiple sclerosis, you think of someone who has the primary progressive form, they're in mm-hmm. a wheelchair and severely disabled. Right. And certainly that's not been the case in our practices. Do you want to comment on that for us? Yeah, no, so I think that uh, clearly uh, there's evidence to show, and we see it uh, anecdotally as well, uh, that the more individuals exercise, even those with multiple sclerosis and various forms of multiple sclerosis you described, uh, will benefit particularly particularly relative to their symptoms uh, from exercise. So uh, obviously we don't want them to overdo it. We don't want them to try to push through pain or or that kind of thing. But we do know that they benefit from some form of regular exercise from the standpoint of their cardiovascular fitness uh, and from the standpoint of trying to build and maintain uh, lean muscle mass. All of those things are very helpful for individuals with MS and, and again, other uh, chronic conditions. You know, one of the controversies we always go under, there's always new recommendations. Right. How long, how hard, how many days a week, uh, what do you recommend? So, you know, um, it varies from person to person. First of all, I want to know what their baseline is. And if someone has not been doing anything, obviously I want them to ease into what they're doing. We want to make sure that they don't overdo it and injure themselves or what have you. We want to make sure that they're participating in exercise that's not likely to uh, exacerbate a condition that they have. Uh, But I like for people to do something a minimum of four to five days a week. Uh, And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to spend two or three hours a day doing. And if they can do 30, 45 minutes uh, a a day, uh, and and even that doesn't have to be contiguous. They may be able to do 15 or 20 minutes earlier in the day and another 15 or 20 minutes later in the day. But I want them to be doing something more days than they're not. Um, And and that's kind of a general guideline that I go by. Would you hold the same rules uh, in dealing with people with stroke? I mean, one of the problems we always have with people with stroke is that there are motor deficits, and obviously that's going to limit what they can do. But have you also found it to be helpful in people who have had strokes? Uh, So the answer is unqualified, yes. I mean, I think that um, clearly there may be some limitations to what they do. They may need some assistance with certain kinds of things. Uh, I'll often have people start with a physical therapist or trainer and then kind of transition or graduate to things that they can do on a self-directed basis once they've developed a routine that they're comfortable with, once they've developed a routine that uh, they've done in the presence of someone who can uh, monitor them and make sure that they're doing things in the right position and then they're not doing anything that is likely to hurt them. But yes, even those with stroke and those with motor deficits uh, will clearly benefit uh, from from exercise. Uh, Another group that I've I've really been interested in recently is those with uh, movement disorders, in particular Parkinson's. Uh, And uh, I've seen some really innovative programs, for instance, with boxing. 
uh, and individuals with uh, Parkinson's uh, disease and Parkinsonism where uh, they will um, have group exercise programs where they'll, uh, you know, work out with a heavy bag or a speed bag or they'll do various kinds of exercises in the company of others. Uh, and it can be really helpful for them physically, emotionally, psychologically. It's, it's just good all the way around. You know, and I think you actually bring up a good point. With the group exercise, there really is this social factor yep. um, that I think we all find just kind of getting people out of that isolation. Uh, what do you think about the future here in sports neurology? You've been chairman now for two terms right. as uh, chairman of the sports neurology section. So in, in general, where do you see the growth of this specialty? Well, you mentioned it earlier, and that is that we've, we've always been aware of the importance of uh, sports neurology in the context of concussion and head injury, concussive injury. My belief ha has always been that that's only part of what we do as sports neurologists. And I think in terms of the future and growth, I think there's going to be a real opportunity to demonstrate the benefits of sports neurology and our approach to, to medicine uh, in peripheral uh, disorders. And so looking at ways that we can intervene and assist individuals, not just those who've had concussive injuries, but as you mentioned, other kinds of chronic neurologic disorders Disorders, I think sports neurology will uh, will clearly contribute to our fund of knowledge and, and, and evaluation and management of those individuals. And then the other area that I'm really excited about is sports neurology's ability to contribute to performance overall. And, and, and that means individuals who may be adolescents, they may be young adults, uh, they may or may not have had an injury. They may or may not have a specific diagnosis. But I believe that we can use a lot of the lessons that we learn in sports neurology to, to improve performance across the lifespan. And uh, so uh, I think neurologic health across the lifespan is uh, an area that uh, we can really um, contribute to with, with sports neurology. Vern, just want to take a minute to thank you for everything you do out here and everything, your time that you've contributed to developing sports neurology and everything being done at your great facility. Well, no, I appreciate that, Tony. But uh, there's people doing great work all across the country, including you. And I love working with uh, you and, and, and others who are um, aware of what we do as sports neurologists and how we can contribute to, uh, to quality of life across the lifespan. Thanks again. Thanks. Many thanks to Dr. Williams for spending time with us. He is uh, extremely busy uh, at uh, the Curlin Job Center and for sharing those words with us. Again, giving us some encouragement towards using exercise to conquer neurologic diseases. Next up, we're going to be chatting with attorney Joseph P. Curran. Attorney Curran is the managing partner and attorney at Curran and Berger in Massachusetts, and we're going to be talking about how immigration law is going to affect your health care. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it uh, gives me great pleasure to uh, welcome Attorney Joe Curran of Curran & Berger, he is an attorney specializing in immigration law. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, a couple of things come up. We're all hearing the word immigration probably more than we ever thought we were going to hear. So uh, it's timely to talk a little bit about how any changes in law will affect people's health care. 
uh, let me just backtrack a little bit. Um, I myself are, um, I guess the term now is an international medical graduate. Uh, I graduated from the University of Rome in 1981. I'm an American citizen, uh, born and raised here. And I was there with a lot of other American citizens who, for a variety of reasons, didn't get into American medical schools. Um, some did get in and couldn't afford the education here in the United States, uh, for which it was uh, free tuition at the University of Rome and throughout Italy. And now we have Americans going to other foreign schools, for example, in the Caribbean, where they too become international medical graduates. But the United States has a long history of welcoming in actually foreign nationals to practice medicine here. Um, can you recap that a little bit for our listeners? Um, sure. I mean, as you said, it goes way back. Uh, international medical graduates, which include, of course, U.S. citizens, uh, most people associate that term with people who are actually born or raised in other countries and come here um, and do their, their residency programs and, and oftentimes follow that to, to work in the practices here. Um, but it does go back. It, it, it's a huge part of the, uh, the medical industry. Um, about one in four doctors in the United States are international medical graduates, either like yourself or even more so who are actually from other countries. So um, you talk about 25% of the doctors in this country. Uh, you're talking about a, a huge amount of the help that is coming internationally one way or another. So let's track back. What's the difference now compared to how it was in the past? Has it changed very much? Now, I remember uh, when I came, uh, we had to take exams. We had to take the ECFMG exam um, and a variety of licensing exams. Fortunately, I went to a great medical school that – and, and we were able to take all those exams before we ever graduated medical school, so we were able to just come right back and uh, begin our training uh, in American hospitals. Is that still the case, or are there new requ requirements? Well, over, I mean, if you're going back decades, there have been some significant changes over the last several decades. Um, for a lot of, I work in a lot of medically underserved areas. They're called, you know, the health practice shortage areas and medically underserved areas. And we see a lot of those, um, especially in Western Massachusetts. There are some in Connecticut, but um, one of the big things we've seen is a new program called the Conrad Waiver Program, and that just started about you know, probably 15, 20, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and that allows a lot more uh, international medical graduates. Um, to stay in the United States. Most of them, you may recall, if you probably you know, saw them in residency programs, um, they would normally come here on a temporary visa, and then as soon as they finished their program, they had to go back home for right. at least two years. And a lot of them, you know, they'd stay here. They'd, they'd fall in love. They'd have wives and spouse, you know, children, and they'd, they'd have connections, and they'd want to stay in the United States. So now there are programs that actually make it easier. And if these international medical graduates upon finishing their graduate medical education, if they want to stay and they promise to work in a underserved area for at least three years, they're normally allowed to then stay in the United States. So that's a, one of the, the good things that's happened in the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, the actual rules, what you call the ECFMG and the, the, the rules about credentialing and that sort of thing um, and licensing, they're really not that much different. What's really changed is the visa issue. In addition to getting your, your, your credentialing and your license, these people have to get a visa, either a temporary visa like an H-1B visa or some other temporary visa. And a lot of times they want to go ahead and get the green card, the immigrant visa. 
So what we've seen, especially in the last year, are huge obstacles that have been thrown in the, in the way of people getting these visas. And that's what I've been, for the last about 12 months, that's been the biggest part of my life, fighting the immigration service on getting visas for these people. Why? Why have they put up these new obstacles? Uh, I've, we've heard some of the things on, on a show prior to mine here uh, on Tab Computer. They talked about these H-1B visas uh, for people in the technology field where they're take, actually taking jobs away from Americans. Um, is, is that why they've also put these obstacles up for physicians? Yes. I think that's what's happened is they've just thrown this broad net over all these professional immigrants coming in and you know and it's just the political perspective of the, the new administration they came in they made it very clear that they look at the world as a zero-sum world and there's only a certain number of jobs in the world and you know one person's taking the job they're doing something bad because a u.s worker would be taking the job from them so and i think they see this in the it world and especially they see it with the the indian it companies coming in so what's happened is the administration has thrown out a lot of informal policy guidelines. They're not statutes exactly and not exactly regulations because those are too hard to pass, but they found policy ways of just throwing obstacles in the way generally for H-1B visas. I don't think the administration consciously sat down and said, I think we have too many foreign doctors in this country. We're going to make it hard. But they just made it hard for everybody. So they were sort of caught up in this uh, political activity to try to restrict the IT workers, but the rules and the regulations and the, the policy memos have been affecting everybody. So that's what we've been running into. And I think the, the sort of the marching orders you see at the Immigration Service and the Department of State um, and the different agencies that deal with these interna international medical graduates, um, they're just across the board having what we call the culture of no. Every time we ask for something from the Immigration Service or the Department of State, the assumption is going to be no, and they really just dig in their heels, and we have to fight them on everything. Have they totally lost touch? I mean, in all honesty, let, let's be realistic about it. Everyone complains, I can't get in to see a doctor. I have to wait months to see a doctor. And if you think it's bad here in Connecticut, you mentioned there are some underserved areas. I think Hartford, I know New London is, uh, and, and Western Massachusetts. But imagine trying to do this in North Dakota, okay, where we try Absolutely. to fill in with paraprofessionals to some degree. But so are they – have they really – has the administration lost touch? I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Um, I believe – I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't want to characterize – Overcharacterize this politically, but uh, any way you look at it objectively, they seem to not be aware, I think, or just don't care enough about sure. what's happening here. You're absolutely right. There are shortages all around this country, and I mean huge shortages of poor people. A lot of these people you see in, in Appalachia and the Midwest, and um, a lot of these places that you actually saw a lot of people voting for Trump are the same people who can't get doctors. And the Trump administration has made it extremely difficult to bring doctors into those shortage areas. And as you probably know, there, I mean, the shortage of doctors is very bad now, and especially with primary care. And, of course, these international medical graduates are much more likely to go into primary care, general care, family yeah. care, and in medically underserved areas than U.S. doctors. So... I think they're just, they're so caught up with the politics of it, they're not looking at 
the unintended effects that had been happening. Well, we're talking with Attorney Joe Curran about immigration law and how it's going to affect your health care, how it's affecting it now. Uh, we're going to take a short break because if we build a wall uh, in Mexico, is there going to be a door there to allow physicians in? We're going to get some answers from Attorney Curran. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and I have the pleasure of chatting today with Attorney Joe Curran. Attorney Curran is a partner at Curran and & Berger, and they are specialists in the field of immigration law. A phone number for Attorney Curran is 413-584-3232. Before the break, we talked a little bit about the shortage of physicians in this country, especially in underserved areas. But we have an administration that's talking about building a wall. Um, will there be a door in that wall to allow qualified physicians to come into this country and help people in underserved areas? What do you think, Joe? Well, uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. Um, I think there is a door, but it's more of a maze than a door, and it'll be filled <laughs> with all kinds of obstacles <laughs> like and blocks. That. Yeah, I don't think the Immigration Service is going to say, yes, we're going to stop all the international medical graduates. We can't do that. Um, even though we're not bringing in enough to, to meet the shortage demands, um, especially with the aging population that we have now, I can't see them actually slamming the door shut. But they clearly are putting up a lot of obstacles. Um, they're doing it for all these professionals. I, I see it every day. Um, you know, I had a... a a doctor, I've had several doctors in the past six months who've been stopped at the border and told they can't come in um, because their papers aren't in order. And these are the, with minor, minor technical issues that have nothing to do with their actual admissibility um, or their credentials. And they're just using an excuse to, to keep them out, and they were stuck and they couldn't work for months because of this. So uh, it's it, happening, absolutely. It, it is, and I think, and I want my listeners to just be aware that this is a real problem we're facing. Now, you might say, and any logical person would say, wait a second, why don't we just build more medical schools in this country and train Americans to fill these jobs? Well, that's almost a joke because we've been trying to do that for 50 years. And, uh, you know, the whether it be organized medicine or medical schools or people who thought, gee, if we have too many doctors, we're not going to be able to jack up the rates or something. I don't know if they think it's a supply and demand. Let's keep the supply down so we increase demand. Uh, what What is it? Do you have any insight into it? Because I sure as heck haven't been able to figure it out. Yeah, well, I think there's a variety of things. And I think you're right on what you pointed out. There, there you know, the medical association, I mean, to be frank, the, the doctors are hardworking, talented people, but as an organization, they have not exactly pushed to open the doors for more doctors. Um, every time you hear, you know, somebody talking about allowing nurse practitioners or other professionals creeping into areas that doctors have been involved in, they, they try to slam the door there also. It's in the best interests for the, the doctor's community to keep a low level of, of physicians. And I, you know, understand that. Um, also, but there's a lot of politics. But I, here's what I, the, yeah, but I don't understand that, Joe, because we're just paid whatever the insurance company gives us. It's not like suddenly, hey, there are no doctors in this area, so I'm going to jack up my rates. You have no rates. We're paid a fixed amount. We are a socialized industry. So I, I don't understand that, that way of thinking, even if people are thinking yeah. that way, you know? 
Yeah, and I agree. There isn't. I mean, a lot of people say we have a you know, capitalist medical industry, and it really isn't. It's extremely highly regulated. I think what's happening is not so much that the, the doctors are really getting out there and fighting hard against bringing in more medical care. It's just as an organization, they're certainly not trying hard to help. They haven't gone out of their way to say, look, let's, let's open more medical schools. And one of the big bottlenecks, of course, are the residency programs. And those are funded primarily by the government through Medicare, Medicaid, and other ways. And that's really where you see the numbers just slow down. There are only so many yeah, graduate right. medical education programs out there. And, uh, so that's, and then the bigger factor, of course, is just demographics. There are just more older people, I mean, who are going to be needing more care. Not only is in, you know, the general field of the population, the, the baby boomers getting older and needing more care, but doctors themselves. Um, there's a very high percentage, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think it's about a third of doctors are over the age of 55 and are going to be retiring soon. So it's going to, it's going to get worse before it gets better. You know, it's kind of ironic because my... My ancestors came here from Italy because there was no opportunity for them in Italy. And here was their grandson going back to Italy because there wasn't an opportunity in this country. Um, and, and when I finished in Italy, I thought, geez, do I owe you some service? Or, you know, can I work in some underserved area to, to pay you back for this free education? And they said the only thing you can do is get the heck out of our country because we have too many doctors in this country. So it, it really is uh, interesting how different countries work that way. The good news is there are many bright minds in this country today, young people, who want to go to medical school. The applications are at an all-time high of people who want to go to medical school and serve others. So it, it, it's very interesting to see. Uh, Joe, just quickly before we wrap it up, uh, where is this going? Can you predict? Is it going to get better? Uh, I don't see it getting better for at least a while. I really see the trends are it's going to be getting worse, and it's really just on the pure politics of it. I think the people who are running the show, the policymakers in Washington right now, have shown no inclination, inclination that they even understand the problem, let alone have some good ideas for solving it. So I, I'm not that optimistic. In the long run, something's got to happen. People are just, when you have to wait three months for an appointment with a doctor, people are going to start screaming bloody murder at some point. Well, sadly, Joe, I know what's going to happen. People are going to die needlessly, and, and that's going on yep. in this country today. Uh, Joe, listen, thank you. I, I want to take personally thank you for everything you and your partner, Dan, do um, to help these physicians get here and help Americans. And, and hopefully by doing a little bit more of this uh, public outreach, we can get more people on board um, to help rectify the problem. Um, Joe, thank you for spending time with us today. I know you're busy. No, thank you, too. All right. Take care. Thank All you. Right. I know. Next week on Healthy Rounds, um, we're going to be looking probably at another tape show. We've done several of these. We're going to be doing some on dementia, headache, and other topics. And with that, over the course of the next week, please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, Covaris, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.